So the big question is this, how can I live a life of purpose and meaning and still pay my mortgage? I had the good six-figure corporate job, but it got to a point where I felt like I was going to be sick every day on my way to work. I knew there had to be a better way. So I hung up my corporate suit and I put on my yoga pants. I've spent the last 20 plus years searching for answers. I've traveled to the ends of the earth, studying with gurus and teachers, chasing balance and clarity and crafting a life of purpose. I'm deeply passionate about helping other seekers and entrepreneurs do the same. I'm Leanne Wolke and this is The Epic Journey. Join me and my guests as I share lessons learned along my personal growth and entrepreneurial journey. Our guest today on the podcast is Debbie Williamson. Debbie is an author, trainer, and coach. She's a multipreneur and passionate biz whiz assisting other entrepreneurs and part-timers and dreamers alike to launch, grow, and innovate a conscious business from anywhere in the world. Her most recent book, Refresh, is about her adventures in yoga, eating, and purposeful living. You can also enjoy fresh conversations with Debbie and her partner, Kelly Lynn Knott, on Barefoot Business Breakthrough, the podcast. So welcome, Debbie. It is an honor and pleasure to have you on the podcast. And if we could just start out, will you just share a little bit of your backstory with us? Sure. I started teaching yoga by accident. Actually, in 1982 or 81, I was right when I started college, I was teaching at a rec center and the nurse was teaching yoga because this was so long ago where yoga wasn't everywhere in every corner of the street. And she said, you know, you teach aerobics. Can you fill in and do my class? And I thought, well, sure, I can teach anything. And, and I had no idea. Like, I just thought yoga was, you know, sit and be fit or stretch or whatever you saw on the PBS channel. And so that's what I did. I actually watched Channel 10 was our PBS channel with Lilius Folan. And she did like a sit and be fit class. And, and that's what I taught to her people. And they loved it. And, and I thought, okay, that, that was fun. And I kept turning up to be like a yoga sub. And through college, they had a program. It was brand new where it was fitness, nutrition, and exercise. And it was all based on more of like alternative where it was meditation. It was yoga. It was exercise science where fitness trainers were just starting to come on board in the 80s. And that was my degree, which was so funny that that's where it started. And I thought I was going to be an accountant because I had also (laughs) had a, a double major. It was exercise because I was an athlete and then accountant because, you know, that's where you made the money. (laughs) I was going to go to school as either lawyer, accountant, or doctor, and accountant seemed easy. I don't know why. But anyway, throughout the the 80s with teaching aerobics and being athletic, I was always asked to teach different classes, and yoga kept coming up. And my first job out of college was managing a spa. It was a destination spa where a lot of the Chicago people had liposuction or plastic surgery. And then they would come to our spa and get these body treatments and they would hide away for 30 days before they would have to go back. And I was the assistant spa director. And as my job, I would take them on a morning hike and do sun salutations at the lake. So I would teach them their sun salutations, bring them back and then do my office work or whatever I was doing. And on one trip, there was a gentleman from the Golden Door Spa who was some famous yogi, and I don't know who he is today, you know, because he just crossed into my life where I didn't really care about yoga, but I was teaching it. And he came up to me after the walk and he said, you know, you really should get trained in yoga. You're, you're very sweet. It was really wonderful, but you just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like you have no idea the mind-body connection or, you know, the lineage of what you're teaching and And it really struck me and I thought, well, I need to get trained. You know, I I thought, you know, as like a, uh, an addiction to education, this would be like a fun thing to now branch out into. I had all this fitness background and anatomy and, and I thought, okay, how about yoga? So I I started with the Himalayan Institute. They had a, a teacher training in DeKalb in Illinois. And from there I went from Himalayan to then studying Iyengar, then studying Ashtanga, then doing a little Jivamukti, and then running into Baron Baptiste in uh, the late 1990s, 
uh, when I was working for an idea conference and I, I kept meeting all these yoga teachers and yoga luminaries and, and was really lucky that my whole life was yoga, even though like on the other side of it, I'm running, you know, salons and spas. I'm managing ice arenas. I'm, you know, I had other professional things on the side and it, it didn't happen until the early 2000s. And in, you know, after 9-11, that's when yoga really started to boom. That's where you started seeing like the New York studios becoming really popular and things really coming to life because everyone needed something for the stress of like our world is changing and, and we need something, you know, we need something to heal humanity as a whole. And that's where I started thinking, okay, you know, this, this needs to be a part of my life. So I trained as, this was after like, I don't know how many years of practicing yoga, I decided that, you know, I, I want to make yoga more. How do I become a teacher of teachers? And, you know, with Yoga Alliance, it was an apprenticeship. We didn't have yoga schools. So what you did is you apprentice, like you'd pick out four people that you would train and do the 200 hour program with those four people, just like, you know, guru to disciple, you know, of the old days of practice. And I certified my first students in the early 2000s through Yoga Alliance before there were yoga schools. And then eventually I was at work where I managed a, a health club. It was at a, a premier hotel, the health club, the wellness businesses. And my boss said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to fire you. And I said, what? And she goes, well, you should have like your own business. And like, you're an entrepreneur and you're running like you're, I was opening their new yoga studio for this corporation. And she's like, you, you have to do this on your own. She, <laughs> says, I, she goes, I accept your resignation today. And I thought, well, shit, <laughs> what? And she goes, I accept your resignation today. And I said, okay. And it's so funny because I went home after that and I, I wrote this whole business plan of opening a yoga studio. And I thought, could I really do this? And then I, I talked to my husband and I said, could I, could I quit my job? Cause I was usually the major breadwinner of the family and run this as a business. And, and he said, well, you've been running other people's businesses. Why can't you do this? And by this time, like I had my accounting degree. I had my fitness degree. I was working on my master's. And he's like, go for it. And I thought, okay. You know, so I listened to my husband, but like he wasn't the big influencer in my life as far as business. So I went to my dad. <laughs> I'm like, dad, <laughs> what do you think? Do you think? And I showed him my business plan and I said, what do you, could I open a yoga studio and make this work? And he just sat back and he didn't say a word. And I was ready for him to say, you have all this education, you know, you run these major corporations. What the hell are you thinking? And he said the opposite. His exact words were, you know, it's about time you shit and get off the pot. And I thought, what? And he was like, that's what I said. <laughs> and he didn't say any more. And I thought, oh my God, I need to start a business. And then it just all came together. And I opened my first studio December, 2003. Wow. And it was a wild ride. And then I, I always did everything my own way and just created like this yoga empire in the Midwest where at that time, the East and West coast were the yoga empires. And it was so funny because when yoga journal was coming to the Midwest, they're like, Debbie, you really created something here. I can't believe how many people you bring to our conferences. And it never really hit me that, man, you know, I was a big influence in the Midwest as far as yoga. You know, me, who not very many people know me, like I'm not this yoga celebrity that everybody thinks of, but my little studios and my business became a huge influence. So what do you think it was that set you apart or what made your studios so different? I just saw there's a studio member group I'm part of. And it seems more and more I'm seeing like distress messages from studio owners or they're talking about closing. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is I've seen you in so many different ways um, be an entrepreneur over the last, you know, over a decade. Yes, yes. 
Well, and I think it's because I really made it about the students coming in. Like I, I took, I worked in a lot of hospitality businesses where there was exceptional, gracious hospitality. So anytime somebody would walk into the studio, I would make sure our culture is we bring them in, we get them set up on the mat, we welcome them. You know, they're a part of the family right away because my mission was yoga is for everybody. It doesn't matter, you know, what level of fitness you're at. And we, we welcome all. Whether you come in in a cane or whatever else, and I still called it power yoga. I mean, this is what's amazing is I had power yoga studios, and people would always come in and say, well, your people are so fit. They're so active. They're all athletes. And I would tell them that's not where they started. You know, they started where they crawled to their mat or they had to put their canes in the corner. You know, they started where they couldn't even do a down dog. You know, this is the result of, you know, coming in as you are and then learning what you're capable of. And I think it was never about like the sales, the people on the mat. One thing my, my father always taught me is if you're passionate about it, the money will come. Never worry about the money. And from day one, like I would never look at a sales report. I would never look at attendance reports. It was always about any person that came through that door, I was going to get them to get on the mat. You know, I had first class free. So even if you came in and you were in your jeans, I was like, come in. You know, if there wasn't a class, I'd pull a mat out and say, I'm going to help you touch your toes today. And wow. you know, I was always giving them something. And that was always the mission. And even my students, instead of like us cleaning their mats or us setting up their mats, it was always my students would do that. So what they saw is they saw how gracious I was. So as soon as somebody would come in, I had students jump up off their mat, go run to these new people and say, here, let me show you where the mats are. Let me show you what you do. Because that was always the biggest fear is I come into this place. What do I do? Where do I put my shoes? What's the process? You know, how am I supposed to be? And I would get the community to take care of that for me. And that was never the mission. They just saw how I did and they liked it. And then they repeated that. And I think that was the basis. And today I still tell people, you can look at your metrics and you can look at your sales. But if you're that person, you can't really be that person in front of everybody. Because if you're thinking, okay, I need this many to break even in this class, it's going to come out sideways. So whoever's greeting the people, they need to be all about that community, about growing. Because more people on the mats means more money in your bank account. You know, so for me, I never related it to like dollars or metrics. I got it as small as if I get one more person this week, that's going to make the difference between me being break even and me being profitable. So I'm going to work on one more person on the mat. You know, it was always, it was people in a people business, not money in a money business, but you still had to do the math. Like you still had to be smart about that, but it's keeping that separate out of, out of like the front space of the studio. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that when it becomes all about, you know, if, if we've seen it um, at a couple studios where somebody who's like a venture capitalist comes in, takes over a studio that's done really well, and the studio just tanks, and they don't understand why. Um, in one situation, they actually sold the studio back to the prior owner for less <laughs> than they sold it for. Like five years later. So the owner got a break for five years and then sure. <laughs> made a little money as well. Um, well, and I think the key is, you know, I've, I've owned a lot of studios. I've, I've sold studios and those studios are still flourishing. You know, I opened a studio in another country with 10 other investors. We opened in Bali. That studio is still going. I mean, I think I really have a reputation for opening businesses and seeing the legacy of them continue. A lot of businesses that I've been in are thriving and it's because of that culture that's set where it's a people business and, and it's really, you know, it goes back to that Simon Sinek of why are we doing this? You know, and that's what people are attracted to when they really feel that your mission is, you know, to connect on that heart to heart basis and to change the world and touch everybody's lives. And I always looked at if I'm, if I'm touching this person on the mat, how many people am I touching off the mat? Like that person has to go home to their family and go to their job and go, you know, how many people do they reach? And then even me as a leader, as a teacher, if I'd show up for the five o'clock class to teach, I wouldn't think like I'm the only one teaching. I would think to myself, how many other yoga teachers are there across the world 
standing in the same position that I am ready to teach their class. Like I'm doing this with a worldwide group of teachers. Like I'm not alone in this. And that always felt me like, wow, I'm making a huge impact on the world. Like I'm standing with that person who's standing on the East Coast, you know, at 9 p.m. or standing, you know, in Hawaii at 5 p.m., you know, 4 p.m., whatever it is. But I always felt like I wasn't just the single teacher. And that's a really unique perspective, I think, because a lot of times we hear, you know, people have to kind of do it all for themselves. And there's not this huge collaboration, which for a lot of people is surprising in yoga. You know, they think like, oh, yoga, everybody's going to be so friendly and we're all in this together. And then they kind of look behind the curtain and they're like, oh, crap, this is like cutthroat back here. Right. You know, they, they start making it a business and the competition of the business. And, and even though I say, like, I don't want to think about the numbers, there's a lot of new owners that I would meet and they've never run a business before. You know, I do think you have to have a business foundation where I would come in and there was one studio that didn't make it. It was branded under my name. I had a, a licensed studio and she would keep telling me like, I have all these people coming in, but I'm losing money. I can't pay rent. And like, but you know, I've, I've given you a model that you're going to be profitable in. And I couldn't figure it out. And I came in and when we were there, I saw her take a 20 out of the, the till, the cash register. And then we went to, I think it was Subway. And then we came back and I noticed like she didn't put change back in and she didn't put the receipt in. And I asked her like, do you take money out of your cash register every day? And she goes, well, yeah, I, I every day I go to lunch. And I said, but if you take 20 out and you don't put the change back every day in one month, that's $600, (laughs) you know, that you don't know where it's going and it's coming out of your sales. And even for her, that was half her rent. Like her rent was 1200 a month. And I thought, well, where else is your money going? You know, how, how are you operating this? So you still have to have like a business sense, you know, but that can't be like money can't be the main focus, but there's math that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) what would you say um, is the biggest lesson you learned for teaching um I think it's knowing that when I start when I get myself in that positive sense of like okay I'm gonna have a full class 30 people are gonna show up we're gonna blow the doors off that would happen and if I would get up in the morning and I would think like my 6 a.m. classes, they, they took about three years to get full. And part of it was at first I opened the studio where my parents lived. So at 6 a.m., if nobody showed up, we would go to George Webb and have breakfast. You know, so it was like, oh, I hope nobody shows up because then I can go to breakfast with my parents. You know, and that became like the thing. Oh, like shit, somebody showed up. <laughs> And we can't go to breakfast, right? And, you know, that was really fun for a year or so. And then I thought, okay, come on. You know, that's either I take the the class off the schedule or I make something happen. So I started saying to myself, okay, we're going to blow the doors off. I'm going to have a ton of people this morning. And it was really interesting how the 6 a.m. classes started to fill up with like 15 people, you know, and then 20. And they would average like 15 to 20 people. And I thought, wow, that's, that's huge. Like to draw, especially like even in the winter. And then when I got to the point where a different teacher taught my 6am class, then it would go back down to five or zero. And I thought, well, is it the teacher or is it the attitude? And a lot of times it was the attitude. It wasn't because most of the teachers that you hire are going to be like great teachers. Like you hired them because they're really good. You didn't go, oh, this person's kind of mediocre. I'm going to hire them for my staff. Like that's, that's not how you do it. You go like, I really like this person. They're going to be great. And in once I figured out that it wasn't necessarily the teacher, but like your attitude of showing up, like, are you showing up hoping nobody shows up or are you showing up hoping that the room is full because that energy always comes out sideways. You teach a class to that one person. Do they feel like, oh, you don't really want to be here. It's only one person. Or are you giving them your all where you feel like, hey, I'm getting this benefit of a private or I got to bring more people here. This was outstanding. You know, so for me, it was all attitude. Yeah. Did you ever have an instance where you worked with somebody when maybe the numbers went down at a class like that to get it back up? 
Always. And what I would do is if I noticed that it would really drop and, and I, I had the luxury when I opened my first studios, I taught all the classes. I taught 25 classes a week for probably the first nine months because back in the early 2000s, we didn't have an abundance of yoga teachers. I had to teach them. I had to handpick from my students and teach them to be teachers. So once I started filling in with the teachers, I would find that, okay, like I average 15 to 20 in the 6 a.m. This person's only getting five. And what I would do is I would say, okay, if we're not maintaining, you know, the, the good attendance that we had, let's move you to a different time slot. You know, let's see where, like, maybe you, you don't thrive at 6 a.m. You know, maybe that, you know, you're just dragging yourself out of bed to come and teach. That's not going to work, you know, because the people who show up at 6 a.m., you know, even if they are that attitude of dragging themselves out of bed, they don't want somebody else who, you know, force themselves to get there. They want somebody on fire. So I would always... I would have some idea of, okay, like if you're not hitting that break-even point of, you know, we need eight people in class, you know, at least to keep you in that time slot. If they didn't maintain that for two months, I would say, okay, we either need to move you to another class or you've got two months to build it up. You've got to shift your attitude, shift the way, shift what you're doing because I know it's possible. Um, and the reason I know it was possible is I didn't grow up or, well, I, I went to two years of high school in the town that I opened my studio. So I didn't know a soul. I opened my studio when I was in my 30s. So I didn't know anybody and created this booming business from not knowing a soul in the town. And so I knew wherever I would go, I could do this. And that was kind of the magic. Like I was never afraid to open a business because I open a business because I know it's going to be successful. I don't open a business to fail. You know, even now owning a chocolate shop, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I opened it because I know I'm going to be successful. And your chocolate's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I can vouch for that. You know, so it, it's one where I think you have to know, you know, are you confident that you can, you know, put in the energy and the work to make it grow and thrive? If not, you know, if the doubt is just your fear of, failure, but you know, you have the strengths. I mean, I think there's something that you tap into where like you, like, I know there's some businesses I'm not going to thrive in. Like, there's no way I'd want to open that, but there's other things like, I know, like, hey, I love this. I have a connection to this and you know, I'll, I'll make it happen. And then you yeah. do. And that's, I, you know, I've seen you from afar and up close and you have that attitude is um, you've started so many different businesses and I see you as someone who's fearless. You go in, you open a business, you decide maybe, okay, I'm done with that business. The allure's no longer there. I'm ready to move to the next thing. And you sell it off, you hand it off, whatever. And then you boldly go to the next thing that's completely, you know, out of left field sometimes. It is. Well, and I think because I'm, I'm scared to death. You know, like it, it, you say fearless and there's always fear there, but it, it's like, like anything. It, 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 it's that nervousness that I think I turn into a positive thing. I think from being like an athlete of like going into the big game or the championship, like everybody's kind of nervous, but you've got to like, okay, we can do this. You know, you build yourself up and you're ready and you shift your mindset and you go and you do it. And I think you have to do the same thing for business is as a new business owner, a lot of times we jump in and we know we're going to make a million mistakes. We're a beginner, you know, so we're, we're willing to try anything. And the tough part is when you've had your business three years, five years, 10 years, where you have to go back to, okay, what am I not doing that I did the first year when I was so successful? You know, how, how risky was I when I started my business? And did I stop being risky because I'm comfortable with what I have now or I'm afraid to lose what I have now? You know, and I think once you go back and what I tell new business owners is think of it as starting your business from today, walk in your doors. Is there anything that if you were to like buy the business that you're operating right now, what would you change? What would you do differently? And I do that every year with my business and my life as I sit down and I go, okay, if today was the beginning of my life or the beginning of my business, what would I do? What changes would I make and how would I do it differently? Even if it was like, you know, sell it and start something new or paint the walls, add different classes, you know, whatever it is, you know, turn it into something else. And I think you have to do that. And I think it, it's 
becomes fun where like anytime you're, you're like creating something new, it's like you buy a house and you're ready to decorate it. That's the fun part. And then after a while you kind of settle in and you don't notice the furniture getting old or the tear that that little tear that's in the couch. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, this, this stuff needs to be replaced or what's going on here. You know, we have to do that in business too is look at it like if somebody were walking in for the first time, would they think this is where they want to be? Right. Yeah, no, that's great advice. What would you say um, is a story or a moment in teaching that moved you? Um, I, I think in teaching, the, the, the biggest thing is, and it happens over and over, and I think it happens to many uh, teachers, is you have a student who you know nothing about them, and they get on the mat, and they start practicing, and, you know, they never tell you if they like the class or they don't like the class, and you have no idea, but you keep showing up for them, and then, um, it, you know, they, they open up and they say, like, this is how you changed my life you know, which is huge. And, and I think a lot of teachers go through that. But I have one story that's just crazy. I, I taught in a health club. And this woman would come into my class and, and I had about 30 people and it was always power yoga and, you know, lots of music and we'd rock out and have a great time. And she would come in, put her mat down and then like storm out, just get really upset and angry with me and leave class. And she would show up every once in a while. And then, then it got to the point where she wouldn't know that I was subbing a class and she would come in and, oh, well, you know, I don't understand this. And she would go to, I would get called into the HR department. This was a big corporation and a studio and a, a gym that they owned. And I would get called in and they would say, okay, this woman just wrote us a, in the suggestion box that you need to stop saying the ridiculousness that you say in class, just teach the pose. And, you know, I get called in again and they would say, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about God or you're talking about this and you can't say those things. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to say whatever I say. So if you want to fire me, fire me. And they, they wouldn't. And I, I, I had three warnings and you're fired. And I had a, an envelope or a, a folder full of warnings from what I would wear to what I would say, mostly from this same woman. And, she, and I found out <laughs> he worked in HR. She worked in the HR department. <laughs> she was filling my folder with all of these things. Well, one day I hadn't seen her for probably a year. And I thought, oh, you know, good. <laughs> You know, she hasn't had to walk out of my class. You know, we've been timing it right. And she was standing outside the door to the yoga studio. And that was a first because usually she puts her mat down and then runs out when I come. And I thought, oh, no, they're going to fire me. I'm going to get walked out. Like, this is crazy. She's never waited for me at the door. And everyone was in the, the room. They were all set up. And she says, I have to tell you. I just lost my father. He passed away. And I really need you to say those things that you say in class. And, and I thought, oh, my God. You're like, okay. And, she put her <laughs> and then I'm standing out there thinking, now what the hell do I say? You know, like before it was like, just let it flow. Now she's told me this. And, and I thought, okay, I'm just, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to like send her love, but go in and do what I always do and not, you know, try to like say anything because that would be weird to like speak to her in class when I have 30 people in class. And so I just did what I normally did. And then she thanked me after class. But, you know, that again, too, like you never know when people need to hear what you have to say, you know, so all that time where she like just totally wasn't ready for what I was doing and didn't like what I was doing, there came a moment in her life where, she really needed that, you know, or felt that she needed that. And then I didn't see her for about six years until I opened another yoga studio. And she showed up in that one and came one day and said, do you remember me? <laughs> I said, of course I do. <laughs> and uh, she came in and she did classes. She goes, you know, your classes just aren't my thing, but I thought I'd just come back and do it again. And I just thought that was very cool. You know, I like, think like that's going to happen in life and you just never stop doing what you're doing because when people need what you're delivering, they'll show up. Wow. That's so powerful because I think, you know, a lot of times maybe it's more newer teachers or just depending, 
there's a, a tendency to want to please the students. Like, oh, I have to teach what they want. And, you know, it's so funny that the woman came back and then asked you to be <laughs> who exactly she had told you not to be all those years. Right. Um, in that moment. I love that. One of the stories that you tell, and I, it cracks me up, is um, the one about the woman with one arm. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. But, and I hadn't known her. It was one of my studios uh, that was a licensed studio, and I was teaching there. And I believe her name was Gloria. And, and you know, she walked in, and, and I always check in with students, like, are you okay? If you need anything, let me know. You know, you know we'll be fine in it. And she did the whole dang class, like wheel everything with her one arm. And it was so funny because, you know, people that would tell me before class, oh, my wrists hurt or I'm not feeling good today. Like everyone always had an excuse. Like they were just all on point, you know, and, and it, it kind of was like, well, if she's doing it, damn it, we can do it. And, and she was such an inspiration because like she didn't know what she couldn't do. So she just did everything. You know, and then she was newer to yoga and she, and, you know, from living with one arm and figuring out what you have to figure out, like she didn't believe there were any limitations. Like, I'm just going to try and see how I can make this work. And she was such a rock star. I had a nun in a habit come once and I flipped her dog and, you know, she had her <laughs> whole black thing on, you know, and then I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but like, she just went for it. And, you know, that was wild too. Like you just never know. But I think, I think it's those beginners, like my mom would come and, you know, she would be doing down dog in the back and she never really learned how to breathe through her nose. You know, the Ujjayi breath never came to her. It was always like through the mouth and gasping for air. And she would be in the back, like staying as long as she could. And and if you said, well, you could take child's pose, she would like say, shut up. You know, it's like she was going to be there. And it was funny because I'd get like new men in class and they would go in the back row by my mom and you could just see him looking at her like, oh my gosh, if this lady can do it, we're going to have to stay in this pose too. And, you know, she would make everyone work so hard. (laughs) And, And, you know, it's like that people pleasing. My teachers would always say, we need to have a baby boomers class for your mom. We need to have a seniors class. And it's so funny. I finally had to tell them, no, the reason my mom comes to my classes is she likes the challenge. She tells me, you know, Lori, your classes are too easy. You know, Robin, your classes are too easy. Um, she, you know, she doesn't want the baby boomer class. She doesn't want to be with the old people, you know, even though they're her age. She wants to be challenged. She says, you know, like I'm 20 years older than all of you ladies. I shouldn't be able to do the poses like you do them. They shouldn't come easy to me. She's like, teach me like you're teaching, you know, the the people who can do the poses. Like, I know it's going to be years before I get there. And that was something that always struck me is, you know, don't teach down to the people in class. Let them know that they've got a place to go in their practice. You know, they shouldn't come in and be perfect. Right? No, that's for sure. And I think that I know I was somewhere and there was like a sign for, like middle age yoga or yoga for the older, I forget what sort of derogatory term they used. And I thought, crap, I'm going to be 50 this year. And so like, I guess I'm supposed to roll up my yoga mat, use it under a carpet or something, because now I have to do chair yoga or I don't know, whatever <laughs> the thing is. Um, but it really, I think that's funny because, you know, a lot of, uh, the yoga teachers that I hang out with now are hitting like those fifties. And, and I can remember them saying like, wait till you get old, you're going to want to do all restorative classes. <laughs> and I still don't, you know, I still want to go to a hot sweaty power yoga class and I'm 57. You know, I, I don't know, maybe it'll be my eighties. Who knows? <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> so what would you say? Um, what's most important in teaching? I think that you remember it's not about you as a teacher and it's what you can pull out of your students. Like I always looked at it as almost a, a, like a challenge myself. Like how far can I take my students? How can I make them successful? Like I want them to leave and go home and like brag to their family what they got out of yoga, you know, whether it was an aha moment, whether it was a pose, but just something that they walk out the door feeling like they're on top of the world and they gained something like they took a step forward in their life. Yeah, that's amazing. 
And that's, you know, there's so few places in our lives where that happens. You know, people kind of make excuses or say, oh, it's okay. Don't, you don't have to do that. But to really hold people to that higher standard and invite them to, to step into that, I think is, is huge. And I think you have to have, you know, thick skin, not be afraid. Like if they do get mad at you, I've had plenty of students get angry with me or, you know, upset with me or think that, you know, I might, and I, I, push them in a way, not that I'm pushing them like in a physical way to make it pop. Like there's no way I'm pushing them for injury. I'm pushing them more emotionally, like to get over their fears or to get over that. They, you know, are they really tired? You know, can you just get up and do one more? You know, it's kind of because that's really how life is. Like there's some days where I don't want to get out of bed, but I have to get out of bed, you know, or I don't want to do something and I have to do something. And it's that in class that we can teach them, you know, those things are going to come up that, you know, you just don't want to do. And there's times where we don't have the choice. I mean, we have to be strong. Yeah, for sure. Where do you see, um, you know, you and I both started yoga before social media existed, <laughs> before Lululemon existed, before, you know, there was this whole movement that we're seeing. Where do you think it's going? You know, people ask me that and I, I kind of see it cycling, you know, where we went from, you know, yoga studios, they were like on every corner. And then we kind of hear that a lot of them are closing and maybe a lot of them should. And yoga is available like everywhere, you know, from, you know, the football fields at the high schools to wherever. But I still believe that people, um, like that community base, you know, there's so much online now where you can take classes online. And I think that's one thing, but I, I, I don't know. I really think it's going to come back to um, doing it together, whether we can make it feel like it's together online or get back to the studio where it feels together, because I'm finding too, that a lot of the studios that I enjoy are the ones where I feel like I'm a part of the the studio. Like I'm, I'm on the mat. I'm in Shavasana and I love all the people around me, even though I don't know them, you know, and then there's some studios that I go to and I'm on my mat in Shavasana. I feel like I'm the only boat in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know any of these people or who they are. And and I do think to survive, you know, we're still going to need that community. And it, and I do believe it, it can be created online. Um, not sure how yet. I do think it can, but I also think the ones that are going to survive are the ones that keep creating that um, community or family feeling or that way, because yoga is a part of like finding yourself where sometimes you have to either get away. Like it's, it's okay to have your personal practice, but I think we do things greater in humanity. Like I, I think a personal practice is, is good for yourself and we can, we can touch the world through that. But I think if we do it in humanity, like in the chaos of a class with, you know, multiple people, I think we learn so much more. I think it's a, a faster way of growth and I'd like to see it go there. Like I, I really don't know, but I, I definitely um, will be back in yoga. You know, I sold my, my huge yoga business and have been kind of like hiding for a few years. I I had a non-compete and it's almost up. So you're going to see some uh, yoga again coming my way (laughs) where it's going to be done in a bigger way in a broad spectrum, you know, so I'm I'm trying to figure that out myself Um, because being in Hawaii, I'm kind of far away from people, but um, even coming back to the mainland and teaching my cacao ceremonies and yoga classes, like the people are still showing up. I had 30 people in each of my classes um, without a blink of an eye. And it, they like, they're craving it. They, they, they still crave that. And I think the studios that aren't offering that um, will have trouble and might have to shift what they're doing, you know, or close. But the studios that can still create that togetherness, you know, they're going to thrive. Yeah. I agree. I think uh, it's almost like the raves of the 80s. And it's that breath moving in synchronicity, um, sometimes to music or else whatever, but that physical movement and the breath, you know, more and more we're learning about the neuroscience behind it and why it works and why those feelings happen. But it's, you know, it is something special. And I think uh, I would hate to see it go that yoga is all free everywhere because then I think people don't appreciate it 
um, or that it's, you know, only offered in health clubs because small studios can't survive. Well, and and I've never had a problem surviving as a studio. So I think, you know, it reminds me of like the movie theater industry where like you had all these movie theaters and then they all shut down and then like the next generation of movie theaters open, you know, where they're all out and, you know, offering more and more and then they shut down, you know, and it's, it's kind of a cycle. And I think, again, we're in that another uh, growth cycle for yoga that it's going to turn into something else. You know, we had the, the studio was, you know, first it was like the health clubs had all the yoga, then all these studios popped up and then the health clubs, you know, brought yoga to a higher level and, you know, all your health clubs have the yoga. And I think, you know, it's going to get, it's going to come back to, you know, whatever it, it, it is again in a whole new version, but um, it's never going to end. It's never going to stop. Like we know it's here for good. So it's just, what are we doing to compete with what else is out there? And again, the competition is in other yoga studios. It's what's happening in people's lives. Right. You know, and, and that's what I learned in my studios is it's not the other studio down the road. It's the soccer that my son has to go to, or this event or that event. And I always tell people in my studio, I want you to put your yoga classes on the calendar first. I would tell every student, you know, now that you've come in and you see the changes that you're making, you put yoga in your calendar right now. Are you coming Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Are you coming Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday? But you write it down in your calendar and you, you know, there's no end date. You just put it in there. And if you show up, great. If you don't, that's okay. But it's in your calendar. And that's how we would get them to make yoga their commitment. Wow. Yeah, it goes back to if it's not scheduled, it's not real. <laughs> right. The best intentions never right. get scheduled. And we always have our calendars. You know, that's something that we have everywhere. And, and we're such a, a society of like moving to the next appointment. Just make sure you're their, their first appointment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you hinted a little bit that you're going to make your uh, re-entry into the yoga world. Can you tell us anything more about that? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, it'll definitely be something, I don't know that I'll open a studio. You know, I feel like there are a lot of studios that um, need like re, re-energizing. And, and I have a, a lot of friends that were yoga teachers that created their studios and created their life out of yoga. And I feel like, you know, me coming back to their studios and setting them on fire again, like I can serve them better that way than like opening a studio, starting a community. Like I, I want to help those that have been in the business like for 10 years, you know, those that have invested and, you know, they've got skin in the game and I want them to stay and, and be you know, stay true to what they believe in and and continue, whether it's them continuing it or, you know, leaving it as a legacy for somebody else. I feel like there needs to be a new generation of yoga leaders. You know, we used to have like all these yoga conferences and, you know, all the yoga stars and everyone would train under these yoga teachers. And, you know, now the stars are like the local teachers, you know, because we don't have that again, we have like the Instagram stars and, and, you know, they're touching some people, but, you know, I want the people that actually touch people (laughs) that, you know, physically are there in front of them. So I see myself like really going from studio to studio to really like create something special with them, you know, is be kind of that spark plug to reignite them in the way that they want to. Cause I tell everybody run your business the way you want to run your business. And I think my coaching and my help and and just that I have so much energy and I've got to direct it somewhere that that's going to be part of it. And then to also have the people that I can't reach something online, you know, through Zoom, through subscription. I think that's where the business is going. You've got to have a subscription or courses or something um, for all those people that can't necessarily reach you on a regular basis. So you have to have both. I agree. I think, you know, we're seeing such a huge boom in what's available online and podcasts and all these different mediums. So there's really no excuse, I think, for someone to not grow because you've got all of these ways. You've got some free ways. You've got some low cost ways. And then, you know, the more proximity you want to whoever you're learning from, the dollar price goes up a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I, it is interesting how there were just like a handful of people early on, and now it's just such a different dynamic. 
It is like we have local superstars everywhere that have no idea what they've created, you know, because they, they don't have anyone telling them that what they're doing is exactly what they should be doing. You know, we, we have created all these great innovators and leaders in yoga, but who is really helping them stay strong? And I think sometimes that's where the studios kind of fall back. And, you know, some of that fear and doubt comes in instead of, you know, staying re-energized and, you know, getting them through it. Like they've invested so much time and energy in their life. This is when they should celebrate it and really enjoy it. Um, and going back to that, you know, beginner state of, okay, you know, now what can I create? What's my next generation? How can I have more fun in this? Like when I started. Yeah. Now I know you put together Yoga Body Boot Camp. Yes. A while ago. Uh, what do you think about the blend of fitness yoga as I get closer to that 50 mark this year, um, I, you know, I'm noticing some things even in my own body and, and curious your thoughts on the well, role. I, think the- I, I, I grew the yoga body boot camp and I didn't sell that because I, I do think that has huge potential. I mean, and I, I, it took off and it got a lot of press and I, I, I'm always dabbling in so much, but I still find that when I practice, myself, that's what I go to. Like it always, and and it it always turns into that. It's like, okay, I start with my yoga practice and then, you know, it becomes, okay, where are my weights and where's this? And okay, now I'm going to jump on my trampoline a little bit. And, you know, it always evolves into something else. And I, I do believe in a yoga class and especially the classes that I taught, you can get everything. Like most people that would come to my yoga classes, they would say, well, I was going to go running, but now I'm not. And, or I was going to go to the gym, but I'm not because I got everything that I need. You know, they've got the push pull, the, you know, crossing the midline. Like I really made sure that my class encompassed all of that, but I still love the toys and I love, um, you know, the, the recovery of like, uh, you know, a hit program or a metabolic program where, you know, you're really pushing yourself further in different ways. So I do think it's, that is a trend that's going to continue. And even Yoga Body Bootcamp is something that I'm really looking at. How do I reinvigorate it? And I've trained some new teachers in it. And new teachers will be starting to offer certifications and training around the country soon. Awesome. What advice would you give somebody who's a teacher looking to expand their reach? Wanting to, you know, maybe they just did a teacher training program and they want to see if they can really do something besides teach at a nonprofit for free. Yeah. And I would, you know, I would say even before you teach at a, a nonprofit for free, or if you're like, even wherever you're teaching, charge at least like $2 or $5, charge something. So people know that, you know, they have to pay something to be committed to it. And I look at here on the Island of Kauai, we have uh, Gabby Reese and Laird Hamilton they do a boot camp three days a week up north and you have to like, you either donate whatever you want or you have to pay at least a dollar. Like they, and, like these, these guys are superstars and you have to pay something to be in their boot camp, and it's never just free, you know, or if, if you're doing something where you're donating, have a system where this is how much you're going to donate, you know, you're going to donate this amount or that amount. And I used to tell my high school kids, even if it's 75 cents, I don't care the change in your pocket, you've got to put something in for donation. You, you've got to, there's got to be some payment. Um, but I, I think, as a new teacher, teach wherever you can to eat family, friends, um, you know, create something at a park, be bold. Uh, there weren't teaching jobs when I was teaching. I used to look online for like spas and fitness centers and, and wherever. And I'd find the HR department. And I'd send them a resume as a yoga teacher. And then they would call me and say, well, we don't have a position. I like, no, but you should. You know, and this is what I could bring to you. And, and even different corporations, I've taught at fire departments, police departments, um, even a frozen food factory. You know, I figured, like, where are there a lot of people? And there's a, a factory that makes um, jalapeno poppers. And it was in my town, and I, sent, I found out who the <laughs> HR director was. And I, I sent them a proposal, like, I'd like to come and teach yoga in your cafeteria three days a week. This is what it'll cost. And, and I always made it easy where I would say, you know, my fee for a class is $10 per person. But you know what? Out of your employee wellness program, you could pay five and have your 
uh, employees pay five or you could pay seven and have your employees pay three, you know, so I would get my $10 per person. And it was so funny because I had 30 people in a cafeteria in jeans and nylons doing yoga. And, you know, we still flipped our dogs and we did everything. And I did that as long as I could, but I would just create spaces yeah, that's amazing. I'm just cracking up about how <laughs> opinion poppers. And you know, I think it is, is it's the mindset of the teacher. If you believe they can do it, they'll do it. Right. And, and any business could use yoga. It doesn't like, you don't have to go to the standard, like the chiropractor or, you know, the doctor's office, like go, go to the like auto repair place. Like everybody could use yoga, go to the places where you think they don't have it because they need it the most. They're probably not even thinking about yoga. Yeah, for sure. So what do you think is next for you? I know you talked a little bit about yoga and reemerging on the scene, which will be exciting. And you've got your chocolate business in Kauai. I do. And I have an online academy, Life Mastery Business Academy, which um, is where I can really kind of let my freak side show where (laughs) I have crystal courses and Reiki and I want to come up with some type of like witchery course. You know, I I have all these like rituals and brews and, you know, things that I love to play around with. And even as a little girl, I thought I was a witch and, and I know what, you know, I'm not like way into it or anything, but there's like little things that I I notice that I do that um, I think are, are cool and make a difference. Like they remind me to be who I am. They, re, they, they give me the power to go out there. You know, like even though like I, I don't necessarily believe that you have to sage things, I still sage the heck out of everything. It's like, you know, every little bit helps. Uh, but I love the, the online programs that I'm offering and, and even with um, offering programs in manifesting. I, I laugh, especially in, in the yoga and the spiritual world. You know, we, we have a lot of kookiness out there. Like I have a girlfriend who always tells me, like, I'm going to manifest an open parking spot. And we'll drive around for 20 minutes until a spot is open. And I'm like, well, I could manifest that too. You know, <laughs> you drive around long enough at the mall and there's going to be an open spot by the door. You know? but, but I think, you know, when it comes to manifesting where like you believe it can be happy, it can be true and, you know, it's top of mind and you start working towards it. I mean, I look at the practical way of manifesting and, and I want to offer more of that and, and bring things into reality. Like this is the reality behind it. Here's the woo-woo and then here's what really works. Yeah, I think that that's, that's potent because a lot of times people are like, I'm going to manifest this. And it's like, no, you actually have to do something <laughs> yeah. to make that happen. You have to be a willing participant with the universe. You can't just expect like, Oh, it's going to come right here in my lap. Right. Well, and I always like, I grew up Catholic. And, and one thing I always learned from studying in school, I went to Catholic school and they would always tell you, you can ask God for something, but it's going to be delivered in a challenge. You know, like if you say, like, I want this, you know, there's going to be work that you're going to have to do to get there. You know, like the challenge is going to come. Uh, and I always think of that with manifesting too. Like when we, we want something to happen, you know, and, and it, it's the reason that we think it comes out of magic is because it's, it's top of mind. It's kind of like, I always think of the next book I'm going to read. Like somebody, like I'll hear it or I'll see it on Facebook. Like you got to get this book and I'll think, eh, I don't know. And then I'll, I'll be walking somewhere and I see it at a bookstore and then I'm at the airport and I see it at the airport. I'm like, okay, I've seen this title at least 10 times. I'm buying the book. You know, and I I think that has to do with like manifesting is you get it top of mind and that's what you're, you are going to see. Like we don't see it unless you are looking for it. So what is it that you want to start seeing in your life? And if that's forefront, that's going to show up for you. That's how the opportunities show up. You know, even when I met Baron, I used to teach classes and I would tease everybody and say, yeah, you know, someday I'm going to meet Baron Baptiste. And then all of a sudden I, I ran into him at a conference and it was a fitness conference. And then I would tell my class, yeah, he's going to give me his phone number sometime. And then I started working for him, you know, and it was so funny. It's like, I'm going to travel the world with Baron. And none of this was happening before. And I would just say it like off the cuff in class. But, you know, it was one of those things that it just kept happening and it wasn't magic. 
It was like, I happened to be in the same place he was and, you know, sent him a resume and, hey, this is what I could do for your business. And like, I had to take some action. It just didn't come out of the clouds. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's funny, like you, you have to speak your dreams. You have to speak what you want to have as a reality, like moving to Kauai. There was a quote you said in one of your sessions I was in with you and um, you said, someone's going to do the thing that you want to do and they're not going to do it as well as you would. And it's going to piss you off. (laughs) Well, I always tell people, people with half your talent are out there doing it. Like whatever it is you want to do, people that have your half your talent will do it because a lot of times we think that we need more education. We need more training. We're not good enough. You know, we, we go down this rabbit hole of, um, you know, I have to have this before I can do that. But somebody who's new and isn't, isn't even thinking that, you know, has like half the skills you have and they go out and they're successful doing it. It's why you think of an, in, an invention, you know, and then all of a sudden, hey, this person invented it. You know, you know, the slap chop or whatever some of these things are, (laughs) you know, it's crazy. And and that's what we have to get over ourselves. You know, it's because we're worried that somebody's going to think what we're doing um, isn't right or, you know, something's going to destroy it early on. I I coached this client where she really, really wanted to open a yoga studio. And she told me that, okay, well, I just finished teacher training and I'm going to open a yoga studio and it's not going to go well and my husband's going to divorce me and then I'm going to be left all alone. I'm like, oh my gosh, well, where are you in this process? And she said, well, I just graduated teacher training. I'm like, well, you've got a long way to go before the divorce happens. So <laughs> maybe if you plan now, you can plan it in a way where it's going to be successful and... <laughs> You'll move to a tropical island and live the life you want, you know, instead of going down this road of disaster. Wow. That's so funny. I love that story. (laughs) Uh, Tell me, you mentioned how you sometimes run into the book that you're reading next. What what is the book you're reading next? Well, the one I just found is called um, uh, Being Superhuman. I think that's the title of it. I just, I just ordered it on Amazon and it was a gentleman who I don't remember the author. It just came in. It was a gentleman in the, the documentary heel. Um, I, I can't remember his name, but it, it's about being superhuman. It has to do with how the mind can heal and how the mind um, creates everything. And in meditation, we, you know, we're always like, no mind and get the mind out of the way. And the thing is, like, we can't all just get a lobotomy and be enlightened. You know, part of it, we have a mind, we have a physical body, and we need to use it. And the key is, like, use your mind for good. Instead of all those thoughts of fear and doubt and whatever, like, our mind can heal. Like, you know, what? how am I using my mind? How am I using it to sabotage myself to go down that road of divorce or am I using it like, you know, to have the most magical life there is possible and even catching yourself where like, if you have an ache or a pain and right away you go to, Oh, I wonder if it's cancer. And you start looking up like symptoms of this disease and you go to Google to find out what's wrong with you instead of like, Oh, you know, it's just a body sensation. Who cares? You know, my body is healthy and happy and thriving. That's so true. So true. Oh my gosh. Such good little pearls of wisdom. Um, Tell me if you could only do three yoga poses for the rest of your life, what would they be? Well, they would be down dog, legs up the wall and a wheel. Because I think, well, I think it hits everything. Like for we, I struggle with wheel and I hate wheel. Um, So it's always wheel or a version of it, that back bend, um, because I feel like the spine ignites the whole body and opens everything up down dog, I just feel like grounded and powerful. And I I also feel that down dog puts everything in place. And it's also, I've always used it as a test. Like you can tell right away, like, are my hamstrings tight? You know, what's going on with my head and neck and shoulders? I always think it's like a barometer for how I feel. So down dog is one where I can see how I feel and then work out how I feel and legs up the wall. Um, especially as I'm aging with hips and everything, I always feel like I need to like ground my femurs and release my psoas. And, and, you know, it's, it it has so many properties that I love for legs up the wall. And it also makes me still, it's one where um, 
uh, everything just like becomes still and clear. And I feel like I'm doing good for my body, my mind and my spirit. That's awesome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Epic Journey. You can catch up with Debbie at lifemasteruniversity.com and on social media. Or if you're on Kauai, check out her fabulous chocolate at Wild Kauai Chocolate. If you can't make it to Kauai, no worries. She ships all around the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a rating and a review. I truly hope that you got something out of this episode that you can use on your own epic journey.